You know, people ask me, so how did you go from flying airplanes to the priesthood? And I tell them, I was called higher. <laughs> so I was raised in the, I was raised Catholic. My mother was a convert. My father was born and raised Catholic. I went to Catholic schools um, through the eighth grade and then public schools after that. As I told you last time, we moved around a lot, right? So I'm a Roman Catholic. Remember that? And um, when we were, when I was in high school, probably toward my like my senior year. I don't know what it's like today, but I think it's probably similar to what it was back then. Um, you get to a point in high school where, if, you know, if, if your family goes to church on Saturday night and you're busy, you don't really get there on Saturday night, right? And my father was notorious for wanting to go on Saturday night, so that's kind of what we did. Um, when I was in high school, and that was, I graduated in high school in 1973. And I remember my senior year in high school, I would go to Mass on Sunday by myself, oftentimes. And there was something about the Eucharist that I found, it was, I found something, the Mass, it was a place that I found, and I, I can't describe it, but there was something there for me that really nourished my life. I mean, it's easy to go back and look, and I think we all should just go back and, and, and think about and reflect upon and repray and pray about the history of our faith. We all have a history, and God is present every moment of the way. But sometimes we just kind of go through life and we don't think about God being anywhere in our life, right? We do the things, we come to Mass, and you know, we kind of go through all of that, and we never stop and reflect how God has been so active in our life and it's easier to look back how the Lord has been a part of our life part of our journey you know from whenever to now you know and when we think back and reflect upon our lives all the graces that we experienced back then can come alive in our hearts now so it wasn't just a grace that we received back then, whatever that grace was around. Is if, if we take the time to reflect and think and pray and be with the Lord in that memory, those graces come alive. Because graces are not a moment, they're eternal, right? So they never, they never die, the grace is always there. Whether it be sacramental grace, whatever type of grace it might be, it's always there and we, it's, it's within us to allow that grace to come alive again. So that we can experience, so through that, through that, the Lord can draw us deeper into his life, into this deeper relationship with him. Don't forget that. Just on a side, every time you go to church and you see a baptism, right? Or you go to a confirmation. Don't look at those things as events that you attend. If we dumb the sacraments down to the events that we attend, we dumb them down 99.9%. They're not events that we attend. And so when you attend a baptism in your parish, it's an opportunity for you to think about your baptism 
and how through your baptism Christ brought you into his life. So the graces of your baptism that happened... Who's an 80-year-old? 80-year-old, 80 years ago, can come alive again. Right? It's, live, it's this living grace that we received in a sacrament 80 years ago that can be alive right now in ways that we can't imagine. But if we just come to Mass and think, well, isn't that a nice baptism? Isn't that a cute baby? <laughs> Which is oftentimes what we do and never think about our... We don't attach that moment to our lives, so we disconnect God, right? In that moment, we disconnect God. God is, is in their life right now in that baptism. But he's really in our life, in our baptisms, in that moment that child, that child's being baptized as well. The grace never dies. It's eternal. It's alive. But we have to keep it activated. We have to, and as we think and reflect upon those sacramental moments in our own life, whether it be confirmation, marriage, first communion, whatever it might be, and we think and we see it, we're witnessing it in our faith communities, that's an invitation from Jesus to reflect upon this life-giving grace that he gave you in yours. So that grace, with it can come a new life, right? That can penetrate again the hardness of our hearts. We all have hardened hearts, right, in some way. Does that make sense? So every time I share my vocation story, which is frequent, <laughs> oftentimes it brings me to tears because... I have noticed and I experience once again, deep in my heart, what the Lord has done. And the graces that I experienced that brought me to this moment in life, they start overflowing again. Because that's how the Holy Spirit works, you know? That's how the Holy Spirit works. Okay, let's go back to my life. <laughs> and if I start, if, if I start losing it, <laughs> I'm gonna keep you on track. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I, my heart is just filled with deep joy of the Holy Spirit. That's why. Okay. So where was I? Were you paying attention? <laughs> <laughs> so I went to Catholic schools, right? And so mass was important okay. to me. Um, I got out of high school, went to Madison, to Madison Area Technical College. And I, and I ended up getting an associate degree in civil engineering. It's a two-year program. Um, but during that time, I lived in, in an apartment with uh, my brother, my future brother-in-law, and two high school classmates. Um, that was quite an experience. Um, being in one of the biggest party towns in the country, Madison, Wisconsin. Um, living with five single guys. Um, I don't need to say too much more. Um, but the cathedral was about five blocks away up the street and so when I lived I lived in Madison just one year and then I would but I would find myself going to church as a college student there was no real community or no Newman Center or anything like that but there was something about that you know and then you know when I think about the priesthood when I was about sixth grade I used to play mass at home right 
never with the thought that I wanted to be a priest. I thought it was just something cool that the priest did, right? Yeah. And so I had to gather my siblings around and we get a little cracker and some grape juice and I had a little chalice. Um, someone gave, it was an antique now, but it was made out of wood and we had used that. And But I never, even doing that, you know, I never thought about the priesthood. Like this is something I wanted to do. And so when I'm in college, my, my first year in college, I just entered into the college life like full bore. <laughs> I'm not going to explain that. You can use your own imagination. <laughs> and um, that first year, somehow, in some way, the Lord put the idea of priesthood into my level of consciousness. And I thought to myself, like, how bizarre is this? You know, how bizarre is this? And I thought to myself, there is absolutely no way, no way, for three reasons. One, I wanted to get married and have a family, right? Secondly, my image of priests were these really holy men <laughs> that I, I could never live up to. Um, and thirdly, my biggest fear in life was this, public speaking. And I thought, this is what priests do every day. I was much more shy back then. You know, the Lord has brought me out of my shell a little. And I said, absolutely no way I could do this. And I don't want to do it. It's not what I want to do with my life, right? And so I said, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> you know, and I basically dismissed the whole idea. I moved to Madison back home and uh, commuted every day. It was only 25 miles. And um, over the course of time, I found myself, as we say, um, in bad company. And so I found myself sort of moving away from the church, from the practice of my faith, you know. I, I, I found myself going to church when I needed a little spiritual uplifting, which wasn't very often. <laughs> maybe once a month, maybe twice a month. Um, and I got in the party scene and all of that kind of stuff that, you know, that college age kids do today. Um, you know, when I was in high school, we never had Back then, there was no such thing as retreats for young people. We didn't have youth groups in the parish. There was nothing. It was basically mass and that was it. You know, my parents weren't involved in the life of the parish community. It was basically go to mass, uh, weekends and holy days. That was, that was basically it. And um, so I didn't have the experience of a deeper conversion as a kid or as a, as a, as a young adult, or a high school kid, a young adult, college kid. And so I did what the, what the culture did, right? Like many people do today. Only somehow, in some way, by the grace of God, he led me back. How did he do that? I shared a little bit about this last time, I think. So two weeks after my mother died, so I, I got out of college in, in 1975. I moved to Tulsa in 1978. 
and did all my flying flight instruction and my got my flying um, certificates and all that stuff came back I moved to Iowa two weeks after my mother died in, in 1981 January of 81 so I moved to Iowa Davenport so I moved to a place I didn't know a soul right and um, I flew this traffic watch over the Quad Cities every five days a week twice a day it was the worst job I ever had <laughs> the most boringest job as I think I said this last week you know, I knew all the par five holes on all the golf courses so I'm driving or flying around and I think wouldn't it be great if the engine quit I could I could land on that par five <laughs> right after a year of that my contract ended with the person I had the contract ended because the contract the contract with the radio station that she had ended and I thought I wasn't going to renew anyway but now I find myself unemployed I was probably 27 something like that and I found myself out of work I was broke I had the IRS on my back because I didn't like know how to do the self-employment type stuff where you have to like save money back right and then give it to them like quarterly or at the end of the year so at the end of the year when I'm starting getting letters from the IRS uh, whenever it was so it basically depleted my whole savings account everything not there was not, I had to close the account so here I am in Davenport, Iowa. I'm dumb, <laughs> I'm broke, and I'm unhappy. Imagine. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Am I going to move back to Wisconsin, where some of my family and all my high school friends and other people I know are? It's a possibility, but I don't have a job there either. And so I decided to... Um, stay in, in, in Davenport and I got a job as a flight instructor at the local fixed base operation at the airport and it was during that time I began to think about you know Bob why are you so miserable because introverts have a tendency to reflect a little bit more than extroverts I think I hate to say that but I think that's the reality and I began to think about why here I am, 27, 28 years old. Why am I miserable? Why am I broke? Why am I unhappy? And, and if this is how the rest of my life is going to be, if this can't be <laughs> what the rest of my life is going to be, right? And so I began to think, I, I thought, you know, the reason I'm feeling the way I am is because... I have abandoned the Lord, right? That's how. Yeah, I'm not practicing my faith on a regular basis, you know? The church was something I would just go to, you know? The, so the, the, the Eucharist, the sacrament, was just something like an event I went to, and I wasn't happy there either because, because in many parishes, that's been my experience as a single person, you're kind of an invisible Catholic, no one pays attention to you because you don't have a family, right? The kids, you don't have kids, people coming up and wanting to love your kids. They see you as an adult and like, who's this person? And they don't even talk to you. I think parishes are some of the most unhospitable places in existence, when they should be the most hospitable places in existence. You should reach out to everybody you do not know in your parish. You should. 
And you're called to that by Christ. That's being Jesus to them. And if you're not doing that, you're not fulfilling your call to discipleship. Simple. Can't, I can't put it more simple than that. And so I find myself moving around from church to church and you know, no one seemed to care who you are. You're invisible. Um, like many people are invisible Catholics in your parishes today. And so, but I got back to the church, right? And I kept shopping around. And um, I didn't live in Davenport. I lived in a little town about six miles north. But Davenport was all where all the parishes were, most of them. But there was, I discovered there was a little parish, probably a, 150 families, I don't know, out on a country road, out in the middle of nowhere. And they were the most friendly people in church I've ever met because they reached out. To anybody they didn't see, the church held about 100 people. And so when someone comes in they don't know, they, you're noticed, right? <laughs> you are noticed. And people reached out to you. And so I signed up and joined that parish because for the first time in my life, somebody cared about someone who they didn't know. That's hospitality. And we don't have that in our parishes today, sadly. And perhaps that's why everyone's leaving, because we're not hospitable. We don't care about them. We care about us getting to mass, leaving. What time is it? I got to get out of here. I got something else to do. That's not the life of a Christian, I'm telling you. So I got involved, started getting involved in this parish. And so I got this job, and it kept, I get, kept getting moved up. I was flying flight instructing, then I started flying charter for this company, for, for this, um, and then I became the chief pilot. And um, this whole time, I found my, as I found myself back into the sacramental life of the church, I didn't have some like big conversion moment, like some wow moment, like I got struck on the head, or like I fell off a horse or whatever. I've done that a few times, but it wasn't from praying. <laughs> um, but as I began to get back into the sacramental life of the church, the one thing, and I, I went on this search for God, and the one thing, it began, it began like this. So here I am, 27 or 28 years old, and I've been told my whole life in every religion class I ever attended, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, right? And I thought to myself, like, what in the hell does that mean? Really? God loves me, so what does that mean? What does that look like? What does that feel like? I know what love feels like because I've been loved by other people and I've given love. I know what that looks like, feels like. But God loves you. Isn't that a nice thought? Right? Isn't that a nice thought? Oh, it's a great thought. But what, what does it mean? What does it look like? I don't know. And so I began to pray every day. I said, Lord, this is my prayer every day. Lord, I've been told my whole life you love me. I have no idea what that looks like. I have no idea what that feels like. It's a nice thought. So Lord, I'm asking you to give me a lived personal experience of your love for me. Give me a personal, intimate experience of your love for me, personally. And that was, became my prayer every day, every day every day because I wanted to know if it is true if the truth is that God loves me I wanted to know what that's like and so I kept praying 
I kept praying, I kept praying that prayer every day, and it began all of a sudden, like I said, I didn't have some wow moment, but I began to see there was a deeper, there was a peacefulness in my heart. I began to see my life in a different way. I began to see other people in a different way. I began to see the world in a different way. I began to see the church in a different way. And I thought, wow. And I began to experience things spiritually um, that were amazing, that were amazing. The one thing that's helped that along is, um, so this is, it's kind of, um, there's a time sequence in all this, but um, I'm running out of time. I told you it takes a long time. But there's a lot of little interesting things along the way. Um, so I found myself getting involved in this parish. You know, I became, I joined the choir, only because there was a cute woman who was single in the choir. <laughs> and I thought, this is it. <laughs> this is it. And she paid me attention. So I thought, this is really good. And so I joined the choir. And then I found myself getting involved in religious ed, or I found myself getting involved in, I became a lector and a Eucharistic minister. But somewhere in between the choir and that, I got a call one day from a, a woman in the parish. She was one of the, the lay leaders. And she called me up. I don't know how she got my number, but she found it. And invited me to become part of the Bible, a Bible study in the parish, the first one they've had. So there's a little country parish right out in the middle of nowhere. And she, wanted to, she invited me to come and join. <laughs> and on the phone it's like, really? <laughs> and I said, I said, Ann, thank you for the invitation, but you know, I, I, I don't think that's for me. And she said, well, you know, don't, I don't remember what she's all she said, but she said, don't say no. <laughs> you know, just don't, don't say no right now, <laughs> you know? And she said, if you, I said, you know, to be honest, and this is truth be known, I'm embarrassed to say this, but this was my life back then, I'm honest, right? I said, <laughs> I don't even own a Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, that's okay. So she was being hospitable, right? That's okay. You know, if you can't afford it, we'll provide that for you. <laughs> but we think you would be a good presence here in this group. And I said, well, and she said, don't tell me, just don't say no right now. She said, pray about it and just think about it and pray about it. And I said, okay. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> I had no intention of going there. But I ended up there. I bet, yeah. And that invitation and that Bible study has led me to this moment today. I'm not kidding. It was an instrument that God used through other people who were hospitable. This invitation, one simple invitation, I want to invite you to a Bible study. No pressure. No pressure. But that invitation, somehow the Lord opened my heart to accept that invitation unconsciously. I found myself there and it's changed everything. That put me on a path to where I am today. I'm not kidding. One little simple invitation. How many invitations have you extended to people? Huh? I've had so many priests tell me they became a priest because one person asked them, have you ever thought about becoming a priest? 
one person, and that began the thought process. The seed had been planted. But we don't plant seeds, that's the problem. Because we're not doing our job. We're not the disciples we're called to because we're not planting the seeds. It's not about rejection. She didn't care if she got, I mean, she could have cared less if I said no. I mean, she would have cared, but it wasn't about that, you know? It, it wasn't about, she wouldn't have felt rejected. Because when we plant seeds for Jesus, we'll, we'll never feel rejected. All we can do is plant them and let the Lord make them grow or do whatever he wants to with them. So that one invitation. And so I found myself there, and then I started getting involved more in the parish. Um, the, the, the Word of God started coming alive. The, the, you know, Mass started to become more important to me. Like, I really started getting it more and more. I wanted to, I was hungry. You know, I was hungry for more and more and more. For the first time, I started reading spiritual books. When was the last time you picked up a, a, a spiritual reading? You know, when was the last time? Are you not hungry for Jesus? I became hungry for Jesus like there was no tomorrow. You know, I couldn't get enough because I was experiencing his love in ways I never thought possible. You know? And it led me to getting more involved in the parish, you know? I got duped into teaching sixth grade boys in religious ed. <laughs> Seriously. So I'm involved in the parish, I'm having a great time, and the, the DRE, who was a friend of Anne, who got me into this Bible study, <laughs> but she was also a part of it too, she invited me, she wants to, you know, I would like you to consider, right? Isn't that an invitation? I would like you to consider team teaching with me Sixth grade boys, right? Old Testament. Oh. <laughs> really? <laughs> and so I said, I prayed about it, and, and I wanted to do the will of God because I'm in love with Jesus, and somehow I said, okay, I can team teach. I'm not going to be in the front of the class, though, just so you know that. I'm an introvert, right? And I never taught a thing in my life other than flying. That's very, it's a whole different ballgame, right? And so you know what happened? I got through like three weeks of, of team teaching where she, I didn't have to say much, and she said a lot. <laughs> Sixth grade boys. And she said one that like the next week, Bob, <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but one of my second grade teachers is moving town, moving out of town, and I have to go teach that class, and so I'm going to leave this class to you. <laughs> Sixth grade boys, Old Testament. I thought, great, this is great. I'll give you the manual, the teacher's manual. It's all in here. So I did that. And you know what? Because I allowed myself to be pulled out of my comfort zone, it was another important moment in my vocation, right? I loved it. You know, I taught like, I think it was three years, sixth grade. The boys were great. They were great. You know, sixth grade boys aren't as bad as you think. I mean, at least they have a capacity to, to listen a little bit, you know? They do, they do, but these, I mean, not everyone's great, but not every kid's great, but I, I enjoyed it. And when I got another job and had to move to Cedar Rapids, you know, what I missed the most 
was the, was the, the parish ministry that I was doing in St. Anne's Parish. That, I missed that more than anything in the world. And about that time, I'm going to have to fast forward because we're running out of time, um, the whole notion of priesthood came back. And I had done, I mean, I had been participants in, in adult retreats in the parish, and I was, was speakers in some of these retreats, the more of them I did, and, you know, a, a shy person giving up a spiritual talk to the lay people, you know, that's kind of pretty scary, isn't it? <laughs> um, but I did it. And, and so the, priest, the idea of the priesthood started to come back to me. And as I looked at Father presiding at Mass, I, 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 I could, I, I'm thinking, you know, I'm not positive the Lord is calling me there, but I think so. But I think I could actually do that. However, there's a problem here. <laughs> Here's the problem. So I began discerning a vocation to the priesthood. At the same time, I was discerning a vocation to marriage. Because <laughs> I had been dating this girl for like two years. She wasn't Catholic, but she was going to become, she was going to convert. And, um, and we had talked about marriage. And I was this close to, begin, to getting engaged. Seriously. And, but I couldn't get the priesthood thing out of my head. You know? And our relationship was rooted in Jesus. We would read scripture together and pray together and talk about it together. Um, because it's at the heart of our relationship, we wanted to do the will of God. And we sought the will of God. That's the problem today. People don't seek the will of God. That's it. All the people leaving the church, they are not thinking about the will of God, period. Right? And there's many of them. Some of your kids, I know, they're not thinking about the will of God. Our lives were about seeking the will of God. And finally, you know, I said, Linda, I don't know how I put it, but I hate to be the bearer of bad news. No, I didn't say that, but I said, you know, we we have this great relationship, but you know, and you know, and she knew about the priesthood thing because I was very honest with her from the beginning. I said, you know, we both want to do the will of God, right? We want our lives to portray the will of God, and I can't get this priesthood thing out of my head. And because I want to do the will of God, I can't go through the rest of my life wondering if God is calling me to the priesthood. I can't do that. You know, 30 years, 40 years down the road, and I discover he really was calling me to, and I didn't do his will for 40 years. I could not go through life thinking like that. And so I said, you know, the only way for me to find out if God's calling me to be a priest is to break up with Linda, quit my flying job, and go into the seminary. That's what I did. And I haven't looked back. Because this is the will of God for my life. You know? But you will never discover the will of your God. It does the will of God for your life, no matter what age you are. If you don't know the will of God for your life, then you should start seeking it. I'm serious. So you don't go to your eternal reward never even thinking about the will of God for your life. Because then you've lived a life that's false. It's not what God had intended. It's simple. 
And it's easy. Get up every morning, Lord Jesus, what is your will for me today? Lead me to that. You know? Or you find yourself in a situation that you think is a challenge. Lord, what is your will for me in this moment? Right? Why is that important? It's important not just because you to find out the will of God. That's important, but that's not, at least in my mind, that's not the imp most important thing. What is most important when we ask Jesus, Jesus, show me the will of God for my life in this moment, or today, or in this situation, the most important thing, yes, is, is not discovering the will of God, it's being present to Jesus in that request. It's about Jesus. We don't think, how many of you got up this morning thinking about Jesus? How many of you got up this morning and said hello to Jesus, your Savior? If you didn't, that's, there's a problem here. There's a, there's a problem here. If that's not a part of our life, there is a problem here. Seriously. My goal is to get you to heaven. And so if I say things that you don't like to hear, like this, that's not my fault. It's things that Jesus wants you to hear because he loves you so much. But if we don't give him the time of day, how can we experience his love? We can't and we won't and we will never. You know, it's Jesus that leads us to heaven. You don't lead yourself to heaven. You don't have that capacity. I'm sorry to tell you that. You do not have that capacity. Jesus wants to lead you to heaven. And if you just assume you're going to heaven, presume, presumption's a sin. Seriously. We just can't presume, well, I'm going to heaven and live the life I, the way I want to. Right? That's not doing the will of God. In fact, it's choosing something other than Christ, whether you realize it or not. Huh? The Lord wants you to be, he wants you to be with him in heaven. But he, just as badly, he wants you to be with him on earth. So, so I'm, in, I'm inviting you to think about your relationship with Jesus in a very serious way. And ask Jesus, Lord Jesus, is my relationship with you what you want for me? Is my relationship with you what you want for me? Or do you have something more? If you never ask the question, you will never get the answer.